Whatever may be the opinions or the conduct of people, the truth of God's word must be preached faithfully and fearlessly in a simple and straightforward manner to our lost generation. Whether people will listen or not, ideally we should pray for the Holy Spirit to minister the truth of God's word in such a manner as to capture the hearts of many who are headed to eternal perdition. And that's a gentle way of saying headed to hell. The Bible is amazingly unapologetic and straightforward about controversial doctrines, including the rapture and the second coming. If the Bible is unashamed of the gospel, we also should be unashamed. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. Somebody asked me why I should not want to live through the Great Tribulation period as if my unapologetic belief in the pre-tribulation rapture is somehow a cowardly position. Although the person was a believer, she did not cherish the blessed hope of the soon appearing of the Lord to take his bride to the marriage supper of the Lamb and to remove us from the horrors of the tribulation period so frequently mentioned in the Bible. You see, this Bible itself is not embarrassed by the doctrine of a rapture of believers before the great tribulation. People who lackadaisically say that they're going through the great tribulation simply have not comprehended just how blood-curdling and devilish it will be. Believers shouldn't be ignorant of these Bible facts because the book of Revelation gives many graphic details of the coming one-world government and the judges and plagues of the Great Tribulation. In fact, Jesus himself testified, echoing the prophet Daniel, and he prophesied to the nation of Israel that when they see standing in the holy place on the Temple Mount the abomination of desolation described by prophet Daniel, and let the reader understand. Then, Jesus warned, let those who are where, he said, in Judea, flee to the mountains. He said, let no one on the housetop come down to retrieve anything, and let no one in the field return for his coat. Jesus added, how miserable those days will be for pregnant and nursing mothers. He continued to prophesy, Pray that your flight will not occur in the winter or on the Sabbath. Why? Because religious Jews can't travel on the Sabbath. For at that time, Jesus said, there will be great tribulation, unmatched from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. That's very specific. Also, Daniel 12.1 addressed the end times with the same words. Listen, that verse says, at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands watch over your people, over Israel, will rise up. There will be a time of distress, terrible suffering, the worst in all of history. 
So when an acquaintance questioned me as to why I believe that the true church will escape the Great Tribulation period, my main answer is a topic that I want to share with you today. And that topic is the ability to rightly handle the word of truth from cover to cover as exhorted by the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 2.15. Paul admonished his protege Timothy, study to show yourself approved of God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. And here's the phrase I want to underline, rightly dividing the word of truth. In these end times, my emphasis today is going to be upon this important phrase, rightly dividing the word of truth. Discernment and overall Bible knowledge are necessary for this. Other translations and commentaries render rightly dividing as rightly explaining the word of truth or rightly arranging the word of truth or properly handling the word of truth. All of these understandings are based upon the Greek original meaning literally rightly cutting out. Some Bible commentaries explain that the phrase rightly dividing is better rendered as rightly laying out the word of truth because the original Greek is a metaphor for laying out a road. The word of truth is, as it were, a roadway which is to be carved out straight. The same Greek word for dividing or to cut out is used by the Septuagint Bible in Proverbs 3, 6, which says, In all thy ways acknowledge him, God, and he shall make your paths straight and plain. Thus, 2 Timothy 2.15 means a plain and open interpretation of the word of truth. Paul is saying that this should be the studious habit of every believer, being diligent to study with much reading, meditation, and prayer. Some theologians think that the rightly dividing allusion is to the Hebrew Bible sections called divisions or cuttings of the sacred writings. And so a person who can handle the Bible skillfully will be familiar with every portion of it and will refer to it as needed in both speaking and writing. Indeed, I enjoy listening to seasoned men of God answering theological questions spontaneously because after their years of study, they're able to pull from this word accurate answers, often portioning out various verses on the same topic from within different books of the Bible. That's a great skill. Moreover, using the literal cutting metaphor to divide the word of truth rightly would also mean to skillfully dissect the Bible's topics in search from cover to cover to discover every truth contained in it on any one issue and to lay these truths open to others and to be able to cross-reference them. Scholars say Paul could possibly have been alluding to the cutting open of the temple sacrifices or the phrase could also contain an allusion to a wise and faithful steward who divvies up to everyone in the household their portion of meat in due season, food distributed according to age and appetite. And so we must learn to distribute spiritual food to various individuals in order to nourish their souls for heaven. Not only must we know how to give milk to babes in Christ, 
but also how to deliver strong meat to mature believers according to everybody's capacities to receive. And truths from the Word of God should be suitable to person's needs and circumstances. In short, a person who rightly divides the word of truth is, as the Syriac version renders, 2 Timothy 2.15, one who rightly preaches the word of truth, or as the Vulgate Latin version renders it, one who rightly handles the Bible with a considerable degree of accuracy, because the Bible is like a sharp sword not to be played with. A person who rightly handles the word of truth will never use it to defend sins, but rather to slay sins. We must give the true sense of Scripture without distorting or twisting it, and we can never take away from it, nor are we permitted to add to it. Furthermore, we cannot keep back anything in this word of truth that's profitable or edifying. But to use another phrase of the Apostle Paul recorded in Acts 20 in his farewell address to the Ephesians, we must preach the whole counsel of God. Paul said, therefore, I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all men. For he said, I am not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. Well, how many of us, like Paul, can claim to be clear of the responsibility before God that our preaching or speaking has been so thorough that our conscience is clear that we've shared the truth with everybody, the whole truth? Yes, to declare the whole counsel of God means we must be willing to declare God's entire plans and purposes concerning redemption. And in order to do that properly, we have to learn from the Holy Spirit how to rightly apportion out to people this word of truth. Because of their receptivity, Paul was able to share with the Ephesians the mysteries of the gospel. Now, in studying the meaning of the Greek word for rightly dividing, one of the best renderings I've found is to rightly arrange verses concerning doctrines. That's why the pre-tribulation rapture makes so much sense to me because many verses can be found throughout the entire Word of God to back up this biblical doctrine. The pre-tribulation rapture was not a doctrine added to the Word of Truth by a Scottish woman in the 19th century, which is a rumor going around, nor was it a new teaching made popular by an Irish theologian, another rumor. It is, in fact, a doctrine taught in the scriptures by Jesus and Paul, of which there are also types in the Hebrew Bible, such as Enoch and Elijah, who both never died, but were raptured and caught up to heaven. So I constantly hear the error that the doctrine of the rapture of the church before the tribulation only became popular in more recent times. But I want to emphasize that it was taught not only by Jesus and Paul, but also by the disciples, for example, of the Apostle John. Arrhenius was a church father who wrote in the second century, and he quoted from most of the New Testament canon. Arrhenius was taught by Polycarp, who, it is well known, was a disciple of the Apostle John. Arrhenius wrote a five-volume work entitled Against Heresies, 
And in his treatise, he described the rapture of the church as pre-tribulational. I want to quote Arrhenius in Against Heresies, Book 5, Chapter 29. When in the end, he wrote, the church shall be suddenly caught up from this, it is said, there shall be tribulation such as has not been since the beginning, neither shall be. Furthermore, a disciple of Arrhenius called Hippolyus also wrote a commentary against the cults of his day in which he called the rapture our blessed hope, a phrase used by the Apostle Paul in Titus 2.13. When we speak of rightly dividing this word of truth, the general spirit of the admonition means that parts of the whole of Scripture cannot be disregarded as so many are doing, for example, concerning the pre-tribulational rapture. Verses that describe the pre-tribulational rapture just can't be swept under the carpet. And these verses include Jesus' promise in Luke 21, 36. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. In John 14 and verses 1 to 3, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. Paul also revealed the doctrine of the rapture, which is called in Greek harpazo, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 16 to 18. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up Herpazo, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, Paul said, comfort one another with these words. Amen. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 to 52, Paul also wrote, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We're not all going to die. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Jesus also promised in Revelation 3.10, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. Furthermore, the seven-year tribulation period is rightly divided as Jacob's trouble described in Jeremiah 37 and Daniel 9.27, meaning that the Great Tribulation is the last week of Daniel's 70th week of years that are determined for the nation of Israel. But it doesn't belong to the church. It's for the salvation of the nation of Israel. And that's why the church is absent during the final seven years of the period known in the Bible as the Tribulation.
Well now, today I've been speaking to you concerning the specific doctrine of the pre-tribulation rapture because there's so much confusion presently in the body of Messiah concerning it. In fact, explaining Bible prophecy requires skillfully, rightly handling the word of truth because many verses need to be culled on any one topic of Bible prophecy, whether it's the rapture, the second coming, or prophecies that were fulfilled in the Lord's first coming. But we have to know what the Bible teaches on all subjects, including, for example, the sanctity of marriage. Shockingly, according to an article in the Times, the marriage rate is forecast to fall to just one in 400 couples. Researchers at the Civitas think tank are projecting that in 40 years, by 2062, annual marriage rates will have fallen by more than 70% compared with annual marriage rates in 2022 of one couple for every 100 adults. So their research means that should the Lord tarry and the world keeps going as it is, British couples will have all but given up on marriage. According to the Civitas report, the rate of those getting married has fallen significantly after a structural shift in society's view of marriage. This followed the introduction of the Divorce Reform Act, which allowed divorce on the grounds of relationships that had broken down with neither partner having to prove fault. Frank Young, who wrote the report, blamed a gradual change in culture for the decline. Young said, we need to break the taboo on marriage if we're going to prevent family separation becoming the norm for our grandchildren. Meanwhile, Harry Benson, who is research director of the Marriage Foundation Charity, has called on the government to support marriage by increasing benefits for married couples. Benson said the real scandal is that persons from the poorest backgrounds are twice as likely not to marry as those from the riches. This is why Benson is calling on the government to take immediate action to close the marriage gap so that many benefits for both the couple and any children can be enjoyed by more and more people. Now, I want to give to you the explanations I've found in my studies this week concerning properly dividing the word of truth, not just concerning Bible prophecy, but generally speaking. And the example frequently given by Bible commentaries of handling the word of God is a picture of a host sitting at the dinner table. He carves up the meat and divides it to the family and guests all around the table. A big piece goes to the grown-up son and a tender bit is given to the grandchild sitting in a high chair and so on and so forth. Likewise, all believers should dispense truth according to the capacity and needs of the people they know or serve. There's the tale of a half-witted man who invited a number of creatures to a feast Stupidly, he gave a bone to a donkey and straw to a dog. So also, we have to be careful not to give the wrong food to people. For example, if you visit someone who's dying and they express regret over their careless life of self-indulgence with tears of remorse, it would be a blunder to read the riot act to them and the last judgment. Instead, the commentary suggests that to rightly apportion the truth. For example, the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke would be appropriate. 
That's the touching story of the father's love and reconciliation with his penitent prodigal child. Or suppose you want to influence a young man or a woman who's leaving home to go to college. Tell them the virtuous story of the life of Joseph, how he overcame many trials and how he shunned sin and became great. If you speak to little children, tell them the story of the call of the child of God, Samuel, who heard the voice of God and was consecrated to God's service at an early age. And when you wish to impress upon a child that he should trust in the Lord, share with him the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, and tell him about the Savior who took little ones into his arms and blessed them, saying, of such little children is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said, we all must become like a little child. If you're asked to visit people in prison, Tell them about the thief on the cross next to Jesus who heard and saw the Lord's manner of death and believed in him and prayed to him. And the same day was received into paradise with the Lord. No matter what their sin may be, if they put their trust in God, he'll make a way for them and make them useful. Just as Mary Magdalene, who served the Lord and became even a companion of his mother. One of the best commentaries in my studies this week was the exhortation to be like Nimrod, mentioned in Genesis 10:9, who was a mighty hunter before the Lord, because it takes a skillful hunter to be a great soul winner. Men and women are saved by careful discernment and well-directed prayerful efforts. The greatest of all things is not theology or controversy. It's just in the end to save souls. And concerning this matter, I've always been blessed by some verses from the little one chapter book of Jude in the New Testament. Beginning with verse 22, listen to these sensible instructions on some have compassion, making a difference. And the next verse 23 says, Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. You see, we're not to isolate ourselves, but we're willing to have mercy on people who are mixed up with all sorts of contaminating sins. And when communicating with people, these verses in Jude describe both a gentle treatment for some and harsh treatment for others, whatever the case may be. We have to discern. On some, we're to have compassion. Well, you may ask, aren't believers supposed to have compassion on everybody? Yes, but it requires great delicacy to deal successfully with a person with a very sensitive nature. And on the other hand, some will need a severe word. These are reckless souls living in habitual sin who show unblushing contempt for the truth of God. Should we just ignore the reckless habitual sinners and go for the more sensitive ones? Is it possible that the reckless sinner can be saved? Yes. We can bring God's message of pardon and forgiveness to everybody because Jude said, others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. I love that picture. 
The great evangelist George Whitfield seldom preached without weeping because he realized the value of souls. In one of his sermons, he said, How can I help weeping when you don't even weep for yourselves, when your immortal souls are on the verge of destruction? Well, may the Lord give us grace to pull many out of the fires. Timothy was enjoined by Paul to rightly divide, cut straight this word of truth. So whatever the metaphor truly means, there can be no doubt that the idea is that instead of trifling with the word, we must lay bare the divine truth that it contains. Meanwhile, the advance of globalism demands that all beliefs and practices are going to be equalized. This extreme egalitarianism view that everybody has to have the same rights on a level playing field, comes up against clear biblical teaching against sin. And if the church objects on moral grounds, this is no longer going to be deemed acceptable. There are increasing court battles over what a believer can do and say. The globalist mentality is becoming the mindset of the world. Logic and biology are being thrown out the window just for the sake of creating the unrealistic reality that anybody can become anything they want, even if it blatantly contradicts science. And everybody else has to kowtow and accept it anyway. That's why Paul said in the last days, perilous times will come because people are going to be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to their parents, unthankful, unholy, and without natural affection. But presently, as I speak, the door of salvation is still open and there's still room for you to humble yourself at the foot of the cross, although time is running out. Soon Jesus will have returned and it will be too late to make your decision to follow him. So urgently, I ask you to invite the Savior to guide you through these troublesome days then the joy of the Lord will be your strength and you won't despair about what's going on in this world. At this time, I also want to draw your attention to our website, exploits.tv, which continually reports on Bible prophecy and end-time events, especially as they relate to Israel and the church. We invite you to sign up for our free electronic magazine, Exploits, at our website, exploits.tv, and at our Jerusalem Channel app, as well as our Jerusalem channel, YouTube. We have uploaded a library of videos available 24-7. Well, Daniel 11.32 declares the people who know their God will be strong, not weak, and will carry out exploits, meaning will accomplish the works of the Lord in the remaining time left before his imminent return. The kingdom of God is at hand. Wake up and be ready for the advent of the King. The sound of the shofar reminds us that the great day of the Lord is drawing near, and soon we will see King Yeshua. If you have any questions, I enjoy sharing with you on social media. May the grace of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. Maranatha.